I'm going to read the, the text that Bob is going to preach from at this point. Um, it can be found on page 1668 in your pew Bibles if you'd like to read along. It will be Acts 8, 1b through verse 25. Acts 8, 1b through verse 25. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and impure spirits, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people in Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, and he said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. All right, a couple of uh, quick, thank you. Yeah, I know. A couple of quick things before I start. Um, first of all, uh, to prepare us all for the Sunday School class next week on suffering, um, I understand that the air conditioning is not working. <laughs> I think Bob might have kicked in. 
Well, we just prayed and <laughs> a miracle might have happened. Um, but when uh, Pastor Lloyd first told me the air conditioning's not working, I thought, well, maybe I'll cut my sermon in half. And then I thought, nah. <laughs> so, but you can, if you're hot, um, you use all those wonderful uh, little pieces of paper that Vincent gave you. It's difficult use it as a fan. I wouldn't mind. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, I really appreciate uh, our pastor and uh, board when they ask someone to preach, they do give me a lot of freedom. And so uh, two of the things that I do a little differently, one is I like to preach from the floor. Um, I just feel closer to you that way. And secondly, I believe theologically that communion should follow the preaching of the word. So um, we're gonna have the communion after hearing the word of God. Uh, so, okay, my name is Bob Grauman, and uh, I am really thrilled to be here. My wife Patricia and I, like good missionaries, you know, always have the wife stand up. Um, and uh, we, yeah, all right. We've been a part of this church for 25 years, and uh, I'm the coordinator of the adult Bible classes, which are awesome. Hope you all come to those. Uh, I'm a staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is a ministry among college students uh, on about 500 campuses in the USA. And uh, through the IFES, uh, 157 countries around the world. And uh, 12 of, I've been a staff with InterVarsity for 36 years. 12 of those were as a missionary overseas, supported by this church. Um, three years in the 80s, we were uh, missionaries in Vienna, Austria, but traveling into the communist countries, you know, behind the Iron Curtain and all of, of all of those fun things that we did in those years. And um, then nine years we lived in Kiev, Ukraine, where we ministered to students throughout the former Soviet Union. Well, our passage today is, uh, as Pastor Lloyd read, Acts 8. But to frame that passage, um, we have to understand Acts 1, because um, Acts 1, 8, I think, is the key verse of the whole book of Acts, because Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, gathered the disciples, and he said, guys, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. And I think that that verse is an outline of the whole book of Acts, because um, he says you'll receive power, right? And in chapter two, the next chapter, uh, the Spirit came on them. It was Pentecost. So that was fulfilled in the next chapter. And then chapters three through seven take place in Judea and Samaria. Okay, now I'm sorry, they take place in Jerusalem. And so uh, we've, we've heard in the sermons the last couple of months that uh, everything happened in Jerusalem. Peter and John healed the man who was lame. They were uh, brought before the Sanhedrin. They gave their defense. They were put in prison. The uh, community prayed, and then they got organized with the deacons, 
And then um, Stephen gave this great uh, talk about the whole, oh, he summarized the whole Old Testament in terms of how the Old Testament points to Jesus. All of that happened in Jerusalem. Now, the second part of Acts 1-8 is going to take place in Samaria. And then in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas go to the other parts of the earth. So Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, is the outline of the book of Acts. But the other thing about our chapter, chapter 8, I think it is one of the most important chapters in the Bible because it's a hinge chapter. It's where the church, which was made up of all Jewish people, all one ethnicity in Jerusalem, the church crosses the first major cultural barrier. They cross that barrier and they go into Samaria and from there to the world. If they hadn't done that, the church of Jesus Christ would have always remained a subset of Judaism and would probably have been wiped out in the Roman invasion of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But God, by His sovereign power, the power of the Holy Spirit, took those Christians across the cultural barrier, basically, to the world. <clears throat> That's why this passage this morning is so important. So as we look at the passage and, you know, turn to the page um, in Acts 8 uh, where, where it says, um, and I think there's three points that the Spirit wants to make this morning from this passage. The first is in the first couple of verses that God is working out his plan to save the world. God is sovereign, even in persecution. And actually, the last time I preached about a month or so ago, we talked about the prayer meeting in chapter 4, which was again the result of a persecution. And the church came together to pray, and the first word, sovereign God. Acts chapter 4, sovereign God, okay? That means God is in control. And again, I said this last time, we look at our newspaper, we watch the news, and oh boy, I mean, uh, 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 ISIS is uh, just beheading people, killing people. The terrorists in, in uh, uh, Nigeria are killing people. There's earthquakes, there's storms. It's horrible, but yet we know, we know that God is in control. We don't always understand it, but we know that in all this, God is in control, even in times of persecution. And in my, our ministry, we have had the great privilege of knowing people, young people, older people who are living this persecution because it's going on in the same way as it went on in, these, in the early chapters of the Bible. Um, and I don't want to discount persecution or whitewash it. It is terrible. 
it's terrible when your own uh, government or your own religious leaders turn on you because you're a believer in Jesus and you are persecuted. Um, and it, it was terrible at that time. If you look at the white, uh, the great, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church, against the people of God. And this guy Saul, who became Paul, um, hated the church at this point, began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women, and that was unusual to arrest women at this time simply for being Christians, and put them in prison. And let me tell you folks, the same thing is going on today. There's still many, many thousands, thousands of Christians today who fear the knock on the door. Um, I, I had the experience, I was in a, uh, one of the countries that's both post-communist and Muslim, and where there's a student group there, an university, you know, group of young people who worship and pray, study the scriptures and sing, and uh, they have to use, uh, the, the staff person has an apartment, and the students use, it's pretty big, so the students use that apartment for their meetings. And they sing loud, and I'm like, guys, <laughs> you know. And so, turns out, I mean, one time they were singing and worshiping, and there was a knock on the door, and it was the police, the military police. And the students were terrified. And so the police came in, and the students are ready, though, because they always have a pack of UNO cards. And the police said, what are you doing? Well, we're playing UNO, which they were. And, uh, but then the police started to look around, and ooh, you know, Christian posters, and, uh, and then they, uh, the policeman looked down, and he saw that the students had left a list of every member of the group name, address, phone number on the desk. And the policeman picked it up and looked at it. And uh, this story has a good ending. Um, there's two languages in that country. And so Russian and the local language. And you know, Russian has the Cyrillic alphabet. It's hard to, hard to read. And so the poli one policeman said to the other, well, it's too bad, I don't know Russian. And he just put it down and they left. <laughs> and the students were like, Phew. right? Um, and uh, another example, I, I have the great privilege every now and then of being able to talk to one of the old saints, one of the pastors usually who has come through the persecution, come through the communist times. Uh, and I talked to one, uh, one gentleman and he said, yeah, when he was in high school, he was the top student in the whole country. I mean, they have to take this entrance exam to the university. He got the highest score and a free ride to the university and, you know, the highest marks. So he went off to the university to start his classes. And, you know, the freshmen have to get there and have meetings. So he had a meeting with the dean. And the dean just asked him a bunch of questions, you know, and welcome to our university. It's so great to have 
the guy who got the top scores. And the dean said, by the way, one more question. <clears throat> Do you believe in God? And he said, yes. And the dean said, I'm sorry. You can't enter. We don't allow students who believe in God in any university in this country. Now this was, a, you know, in the communist days 30 years ago. So he became a janitor. Never got a university education and in that country. There's, no there's none of the professions, doctor, lawyer, teacher, accountant. You have to have a university degree. So he was shut out of all of that. Now, we, uh, years and years ago, I say we, the organization, 20 years ago or so sent in uh, help for him, teachers, so he learned some theology and became a pastor on the side, unpaid. And so I talked to him and he said, you know, that was so wonderful. Uh, I love being a pastor. I love sharing the gospel with my people. It worked out good. And he said to me also, after communism fell, he got a call from that dean, a really old man by that time, but still the dean. And he went in to see the dean and the dean said, you know, um, I, I, I'm so sorry. I had to do that to you because the people above me made me do that. Now that's what they always say um, in those countries. But the dean said, I, I, I worked really hard, I pulled some strings, so here's a present for you. <clears throat> and it was a degree from that university. He said, here, you, you're, you're officially a Bachelor of Arts, you, you've got a degree. Now, the Stories of persecution don't always work out that well. Most of them don't. And for those 168 students in Kenya who were massacred two months ago, it didn't work out well at the end of the story for them. So we look at that and we say, wow, you know, that's, that's hard. But we have to remember God is sovereign. God is working out his plan for the world. He's in control, even though we don't always see it. Okay, here's one more example from centuries and centuries ago. In the fourth century, the 300s, there was a slave girl from Turkey who got kidnapped in one of the wars and sent to the country of Georgia the, not the state, the country. The country of Georgia is still there. It's uh, south of Russia, used to be part of the Soviet Union, next to Armenia. And she was taken to Georgia as a slave. And she wound up being the slave to the queen. And then she led the queen to Jesus. And the king got really mad at both her and the queen. But finally he started to talk to her and talk to her and she led the king to Jesus. And in 326, the king of Georgia declared that Georgia will be a Christian nation. And he called in missionaries to share the gospel with the Georgian people. The second Christian nation in the history of the world. First is Armenia, second is, is uh, Georgia. And so 
And she didn't look like that, I'm sure. She was a slave girl, right? Not with the white thing and the Bible and the cross. She was just a ragged slave girl. And she led the king to Jesus and changed a nation, okay? And I'm praying for those 200, I'm sorry, it's hard to talk about this. Those 200 high school girls who got kidnapped in Nigeria a couple of months ago. I'm praying for their release, but I'm also praying for their witness. You know, those ISIS terrorist guys, mostly they're young men looking for meaning in the world. So they went from America or Saudi Arabia or Yemen or wherever they went, and they went to the ISIS lands because they wanted to find meaning in life. And I'm praying that one of those girls <clears throat> who's given to him as a slave will be able to share the gospel. And I'm looking forward to the day a couple of years from now when one of those guys will stand up and say, you know, I was a terrorist with ISIS and I beheaded some people, <clears throat> but my wife, <laughs> the slave that was given to me is my wife. She told me about Jesus. And so I accepted him. That's what happened with Nino. And uh, not Nina, not Nino, Nino. If you meet any girl from Georgia today, she's most likely named Nino after, after this slave girl. So God can use even a horrible thing for his good. And so, um, so it is with the persecution in Acts 8. There was this great persecution the people were kicked out of their houses. They fled to Samaria. And that got the gospel to Samaria and from there to the world. Dear friends, as we read all this stuff in the newspapers, as we watch the news, um, it's terrible. But as you're reading your paper or watching your news, pray that God might show you what's underneath that. What's he really doing? I mean, these things are horrible, right? But God's at work. God's at work. So pray that you could have a sense of what's going on under the news, what God's kingdom is really doing. So that's the first point of this. A great persecution broke out, but God's in control. So those people who were persecuted went to Samaria. And then the second point, what they did was when they got to Samaria or on the way, they preached the gospel. They shared with the Samaritans. Isn't that amazing? Here are these, they were refugees. They were poor, they were hungry. They were in a strange place. And they still shared the good news. <laughs> Must be really good news. <laughs> they still shared the good news about Jesus with the Samaritans. Um, isn't that amazing? And what that says is all of us, all of us, all of us should be sharing the gospel not just the professionals, the pastor, the elders, and so on, the priests, um, 
No, all of us are challenged, aren't we, to share the gospel. And in the context of who you are, learn how. Learn a little, you know, take the four spiritual laws or the bridge or something so you can share the gospel in your own words when the situation arises. Now, I'm going to, when I preached the first service, I felt all this persecution stuff a little downer, so let me tell you a little lighter story. Um, uh, when I was a staff in, with InterVarsity in, at Rutgers University in New Jersey years ago, um, I am to baseball as pastor is to hunting. Okay? <laughs> so that should say it all, right? So uh, every Friday, uh, is in New Jersey, 30 miles from Yankee Stadium, across the bridge, and about 40 miles from Shea Stadium. And so, because there's two professional baseball teams in New York. So every Friday night, I take the guys I was working with, my, you know, guys I was discipling, and we'd get pile in the car and go to whoever was home, Yankees or Mets, game. And we'd have, you know, discipleship along the way. Right? So I could tell my supervisors, oh yeah, I'm discipling these guys. When actually I wanted to go to the game and I just took them with me. Um, but one time, the game was at Shea Stadium, which is way across in Queens, New York. And so we decided to take the subway. So on the way home, we're on the subway, the seven train, if anybody knows that's famous, right? Yeah, okay. Um, very multicultural, that's for sure. And so it was late, you know, we're going through Brooklyn on the, on the seven uh, subway train, and all the students, the students are sitting there. And I noticed the guy next to me was a concession guy, a hot dog seller. And I noticed he was reading a little green New Testament, the Jehovah's Witness Bible. So this chapter, the story is actually followed by the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. So I leaned over and I said what Philip said. I said, do you understand what you're reading? And uh, he turned to me, he said, no. And then he said those words that I love to hear. He said to me, do you know anything about the Bible? <laughs> I smiled. Yes. <laughs> I said, actually, yes, I do. I have a degree. I know Greek and Hebrew and the original languages. And so let me tell you that the translation of that Bible is really not very good. And it actually isn't. I mean, it verifiably isn't. Uh, the Jehovah's Witness translation of the Bible is not accurate. So I, so I said, to, guys, have we got a Bible? So one of the students out of his backpack pulls out a, uh, a, one of these paperback Bibles, a giveaway. I was like, yes. So I said, okay, here's a Bible with a much better translation. And when, when do you get off? How many stops? He said, three stops. I said, all right. Within three stops, I will tell you the entire theme of the Bible. Right? So, and I did the Roman road, which all of you, we can all learn. Right? And I said, look, uh, I, I, I uh, went to the verse, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, circled the verse, turned down the page. Then I went, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Turned down the thing, put a two. Then I went to 
Romans 5, 8, for God, um, for even, uh, for even while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us, right? And um, turn down the page. Then I went to Romans 10, and uh, 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 if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then I did John 3.16, Revelation 3.20, and I said, okay, those verses in that order is the main theme of the Bible. So when you get home, look at them in order of the numbers that I put and read the context around the verse and, and read it, pray about it, and think about what that means and commit yourself to Jesus. And he's like, here's my stop. And he got, that was it. So, and, any, and the students were like, and I said, guys, that wasn't that hard. You know, all you have to do is memorize a few verses and you can share the gospel on a subway in the middle of the night in Brooklyn, you know. Um, and the, evidently these believers knew how to share the gospel. And so they shared the gospel wherever they went. Um, and that's what God calls us to do. They weren't pastors, they weren't priests, they weren't professionals. In fact, they were refugees fleeing persecution. And they shared the gospel wherever they went. That's our calling too. Then the third point, um, and the key to this passage is, in going to Samaria, they crossed a major cultural barrier. And let me explain that in terms of a little quick history, okay? I will now give you the history of the Old Testament in the next three minutes, all right? Um, here's the story. Okay, at the time of David and Solomon, about 1000 BC, look at the nation of Israel, how big it was. It was all of present-day Israel, the West Bank, part of Jordan, part of the Gaza Strip there into Egypt. That was Israel. It was big. It was powerful. David was the king. Great military man. Solomon was the king. But Solomon sinned terribly, terribly, horribly. Thousand wives and all that. And so, as judgment, the nation split. They had a civil war. And they split into two separate countries. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Now it's confusing because Israel is the name of the people. But in this case, it's the name of the political entity in the north. And the people in Israel in the north set up idols and they sinned terribly. God sent prophets, they didn't listen. So finally, in 722 BC, the Assyrians, the great empire, came in and conquered Israel, the north. And they took the people to Assyria where they died, they disappeared. But the Assyrians sent some of their people to colonize the land and they intermarried with the few Jewish people who were left to form a new race, the Samaritans. So if you look, by the time of Jesus, right, 
there's Judah in the south, Galilee in the north, and in the middle is this new country called Samaria. And that was made up of a different ethnic culture, the Samaritans. And the way the Jewish people, whoa, what am I doing? Okay. The Jewish people here looked at the Samaritans. They hated the Samaritans. Because to the Jewish people, the Samaritans were half-breeds, a different ethnicity, a different culture, a different religion. They even set up ooh, come on, a rival temple. And they had a, like a synchronistic religion, a little paganism, a little Judaism, a little more paganism. So they were different in religion, in culture, in language, um, and uh, in ethnicity. And the Jewish people absolutely, positively hated them. And another thing is the Samaritan nation always reminded the Israelites of their loss, their military loss to the Assyrians. And they were upset about that. They thought, we're the people of God. We shouldn't lose wars. God blessed us. We have the temple. We have everything. We should always win wars. And they lost to the Assyrians. And so the, the presence of the Samaritans reminded them of their loss. And the equivalent for us as Americans is this picture, which many of you will recognize. Forty years ago, almost to the day, the last helicopter left Saigon, Vietnam, leaving all those people, Vietnamese people, who had worked in the American embassy, left them behind to be tortured by their new communist government. And this, since 1812, that was the first war America ever lost. And we had to leave Vietnam 30 years ago, basically with our tail between our legs, humiliated by a country much smaller than us. And so, back to Israel, um, the presence of the Samaritan nation reminded the Israelites of their loss in the war. Plus, these people were half-breeds, different culture, different ethnicity, right? So they hated the Samaritans. And what happened when they went to Samaria? They preached the gospel. They loved the people. And when Philip went there, he proclaimed the Messiah. And what happened when Philip preached the gospel in Samaria? A revival broke out. Demons cast out, people coming to Christ, people being baptized. And there was this guy, Simon, the sorcerer, who had to learn a lot about that you can't buy the gospel, you can't get the gospel with magic, you can't get the gospel with sorcery. 
You come to Jesus by faith, faith alone, not with money, not with magic, with faith in Jesus, repentance and faith in Jesus. That's how you get eternal life. So um, Philip preached the gospel, people repented, they were baptized, but for some reason, the Holy, Holy Spirit didn't fall on them. And a lot of the theologians argue about that. What's that about? Sometimes theologians will say, well, it means that we should have two blessings. You know, we should have first baptism and then a, a second blessing. I don't think that's what this teaches. I think the Holy Spirit held back for one really important reason. Peter and John. Peter and John were the two leaders of the church. The two disciples, along with James, who went, were closer to Jesus, went into the home of the, the girl who had died with Jesus, saw him raise her from the dead. Peter and John, by this time in Acts, were the leaders of the church. And the apostles sent them to Samaria to find out what was going on. Why was the gospel going to these half-breeds, <laughs> to these people of a different culture? And I can see Peter and John as they're going to Samaria. They cross the border and they're like, yuck, these aren't our people. This is not our culture. And then they're saying to each other, See what happened, these people were baptized, they didn't even receive the Holy Spirit. That must mean that they have to become Jewish first. They have to go through all of the Jewish rites to become Christians because those Samaritans need to join our culture. They need to become Jewish. So they need to become like us. And so Peter and John go, and they put their hands on the people, wham, the Holy Spirit comes. And I can just see Peter, who was always the first to talk, say to John, wow, or the Hebrew equivalent of, wow, John, do you know what this means? This means these people are Christians. They don't have to become Jewish first. They don't have to join our culture. They can be their culture. And the Holy Spirit fought, fell on them. You know what, John? This is Peter, the leader of the church. You know what, John? These people are, uh, I can't even say it, these people are brothers and sisters of ours. These people who are not our culture our ethnicity, they're our people. <laughs> we're their people. We're, we're in Christ together. This was a change of 2,000 years of tradition, 2,000 years of tradition for them to realize, wow, these hated Samaritans, they're brothers and sisters. They don't have to change cultures. They don't have to change nationality. They just have to believe in Jesus now and start to grow as disciples. And, and that's, that's a, the major cultural barrier that the church crossed.
because they had the courage to share the gospel with these, with these people who were not their ethnicity. And uh, it's, it's just amazing. And Jesus, of course, um, foreshadowed this. In John chapter 4, um, Jesus is taking a trip from Judea to, Samar to Galilee, and he goes through Samaria. What's, it, what's so great about that? Well, what's so great about that is nobody did it. Everybody, if they went from Judea to Galilee, went this way, through the Decapolis. Um, I remember when I, I, I uh, started as pastor of a church in Clifton, New Jersey, and then above Clifton was Patterson, which is very urban, and then above that was Pompton Plains, right? Very rich. And so I drove through Patterson, and the people in my church says, don't do that. Don't go through Patterson. You'll get killed. You know, go around. Go around. Because those people in Patterson, they're different. <laughs> they're not like us. It's dangerous. Right? And so that's what these people did. They went around. Except Jesus went through Samaria and met the woman at the well and led her to faith in him. And then... Um, after she came to faith in him, and she even said, why are you talking to me? Jewish people don't talk to Samaritans. And Jesus said, well, I am. I will. And then the disciples come back to Jesus, and he points, and he says, I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. What was he pointing to? Samaria. So even then, in the Gospels, Jesus was foreshadowing Listen, you guys, you're going to go to Samaria because that's where the gospel is going to work in this new culture, this different culture. And those people out there that you hate, they're going to be your brothers and sisters because that's what I'm about, Jesus said. He's about reconciliation. And then um, Jesus told this story, remember? of the good Samaritan. And with one story, one story, Jesus changed the perception of an entire race of people for the next 2,000 years. Because <laughs> if anybody knows that story, the adjective that they give to Samaritans is good. These people that the Jewish people absolutely hated. Jesus said, you know what? I think they're good. And I am going to have you guys preach the gospel so they come to me and they become united with you. Not that they have to become Jewish. Nope, they just believe in me. And they have eternal life. So Jesus pushed his people out, even through persecution, pushed them out to Samaria so that they could preach the gospel <clears throat> to the Samaritans and the Samaritans become brothers and sisters with Jewish people who believed in Jesus. Jesus takes our biggest enemies 
and makes them our biggest friends if we are in him. That's what Jesus is about. Um, here's a picture from my world. Um, the country of Armenia, <coughs> south of Russia, and the country of Azerbaijan are at war with each other. They're, it's a hot war. I mean, guns, shooting. And those two cultures have hated each other for a thousand years. Absolutely hate each other. And it's so bad that no Armenian can go to Azerbaijan. Or even talk to, they're not supposed to talk to each other. And I, I go to both countries, so I actually have two passports. Because if I go to, if I get a stamp for Armenia, a visa stamp, they won't let me into Azerbaijan. They think I'm a spy. I am, kind of, but that's another story. Um, so I actually went to the U.S. consulate in Kiev, explained this, and they gave me two passports. Um, so I could go to one country with one passport and the other country with the other. Because they, they hate each other, okay? Well, here's two guys. Um, this a guy with the tie is Armenian. This guy is Azeri from Azerbaijan. Ten years ago, they were each in their respective armies, facing each other across the plain with their machine guns. Then they left the army, went to college, heard the gospel, came to Christ, and now this guy is the director of InterVarsity Armenia, or was, and this guy is the director of um, InterVarsity Azerbaijan. His back is to you, that's why we took the picture that way, because if the Azeris ever saw that picture and he's with the other Armenian, that would be very bad. But look what they're doing. They are dancing. Two guys who were enemies. Thousand-year-old hatred in the army, shooting at each other, are now dancing because of Jesus. That, that is the kingdom of Jesus in a picture. Jesus is reconciling the world to himself and reconciling people to each other. And Jesus is creating a multinational multicultural, multi-ethnic community called the church, whose goal is to share his gospel of love with the world. And so his church needs to look like that. People who are very different in culture, in ethnicity, in, in nationality, dancing together. That's what the church should look like. And so, how do we apply this? Well, I think first we should apply it to our church. Um, I really love our pastor's preaching, 
And there's been about 20 times I've come up to him after a sermon and said, that's in my top three. <laughs> so there's 20 sermons in my top three. But the one he preached two weeks ago is definitely in my top three until I hear the next one. Um, but he, in a sermon two weeks ago, the pastor kind of laid out the history of this church the last seven or eight years. That seven or eight years ago, we were about to lose this building. There were so few people and so little money that they were seriously considering, let's sell the building because we couldn't pay the mortgage. And so when the pastor got here, the first thing he really pitched was giving and stewardship. Now we've got some money, even oversubscribed. And so we're giving it away to the, to the missions and so on. And then we realized, wow, there's not many people here. And people started to come. And then they realized, the elders realized, wow, there's not many young people here. And then young people started to come. Then Epic came, and more young people came, right? <laughs> Yay, Epic. Um, but he said two weeks ago in this very prophetic sermon, he said, the next thing, the next thing for our church is going to be crossing cultural barriers, building a congregation on what we have, but working hard to make it much more multi-ethnic. That will be hard. That will be hard. And it can't be saying to ethnic minorities, you join us and come and be like us. <laughs> Worship like us. Never works. Everybody, everything has to change a little bit to have a church that looks like the church in the Bible. A multi-ethnic, multicultural, multinational group of believers in Jesus who love each other and respect each other. So, and I, he, uh, the pastor doesn't usually give altar calls. If he had given one two weeks ago, I would have stood up and said, I'm in. And I hope us all will, all each of us will say, I'm in on this. And, but personally, um, a couple of months ago, Pastor Lloyd preached a sermon. So I've mentioned both pastors so far. I expect lots of, you know, kudos for that. Um, anyway, Pastor Lloyd preached a sermon, and he said, get to know someone who's not like you. Okay? That's how we can apply this in our personal lives. Get to know an international student. There's thousands of them at the university right down the street. Get to know someone from a different ethnicity or economic status, or please, please, for the sake of our country, get to know someone from a different political viewpoint as you, not to uh, convince them of your truth, of your whatever, but just to get to know them. Because I think this country is being ripped apart, and it has to be the Christians who can have different political opinions, strong different uh, poli political opinions, and still love each other, and talk to each other, and share with each other. Please, for the sake of our country, um, get to know someone who's not like you. Uh, real quick, um, I grew up in the 50s in New Jersey in the Cold War. And so this is what I was most afraid of, an atomic bomb blowing up New York City. 
And so they had uh, uh, air raid drills for us kids. The, so those horrible sirens, which now are now used for tornadoes out here. Those sirens would go off and we would duck and cover. That's me there. No, it's not me. But um, <laughs> that's what we looked like, right? And so I was like that little kid with his face on the ground and his arms over his head. And we would do that every couple of months, have air raid drills. And so for 20 minutes, I was laying there, my face on the ground, arms over my head. And what was I thinking about as an eight-year-old? Too young for girls at that point. Wasn't thinking about girls. Baseball, yes, absolutely. And when I ran through every batting average and so on and how the Yankees were doing, I would think about how much I hate the Russians. They were going to bomb me. I mean, as if those, those uh, uh, desks are going to protect me, right, from an atomic bomb blowing up in New Jersey, right? And I hate the Russians. They're communists. They're atheists. I hate those Russians. They hate us. They're going to bomb me. They're going to blow up my city. And now, I've come to Christ, <laughs> lived nine years in a country, Slavic country that used to be part of the Soviet Union, my favorite people group in the world is Russians. And when um, a bomb did hit Ground Zero <clears throat> in 2001 in New York and did blow up the World Trade Center, my email inbox filled with notes from Russians saying, we're so sorry. We can't imagine what that would be like. Russians who've come to Christ, and I came to Christ, and these people I used to hate, I love with all my heart. I wish I was there. I'm sad every day I'm not there. I love them, and they're my enemies. But Jesus brought us together. <laughs> Jesus brings reconciliation. So he reconciled the Samaritans to Christ, and in Christ reconciled them to the Jewish believers. That's what he does. And the gospel went from Samaria to the world. So here's, yeah, a summary. Um, God is sovereign. He's in control. Even in persecution, he's in control. Secondly, Everyone, all of us, are called to share the gospel. Like those early Christians who were not professionals who shared the gospel in Samaria. But the third point, God brought the Samaritans to Jesus. That's the first barrier the church crossed. And so they went from there to the world. So my question for you what barrier will you cross for the sake of the gospel? Who will you get to know who's not like you? So you can get to know them, learn about them, and share the love of Jesus with them. He loves us. Jesus loves us. But he wants us to be the kind of church that he describes in the Bible.
Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for that you've called us to you. You've given us eternal life and joy and peace. And now you call us to cross barriers, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.